For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, we've got highlights from the first ever live recording of the show in front of an audience of more than 300 at the historic El Casino Ballroom on Tucson's south side. We'll get Sonoran Strange with performance poet Logan Phillips. The audience will help launch the new community-wide radio project, Dimalo, Stories of the Southwest. Welcome the arrival of the Chinese New Year with some traditional music, and author Lydia Otero talks about a time when Tucson tried to make a new start with tourism and the downtown economy. Those stories are coming up next on a live recorded edition of Arizona Spotlight. We had a great crowd respond to this, and I'm really happy that you're all here. But I got to say, it's a little strange being able to see you all. Even though you've been really kind, you've been inviting me into your cars and your bedrooms and your earbuds for about a decade now. I began the show as a fill-in for the previous host while she was away on maternity leave. And I thought, well, I'll probably get to do about five shows before they fire me in disgrace. And we've now done over 500. So I missed Matt Guess. So we're gonna go ahead and start with our first performer in just a moment, author Logan Phillips, who spent seven years developing the ideas behind his poetry collection called Sonoran Strange. How is everybody tonight? Are we good? Excellent. It's a real honor to be back on this stage and especially uh, collaborating with so many people who I know and love. This is a, this is a, this is a poem about um, a new era being born in Tucson. And it's called Iced Love in Tucson. They came from two different sides of town, from two powerful families, each a legend in Tucson. On those days, those summer days, when the heat is a middle finger stuck in your armpit, Tucson has no choice but to turn to one family or the other for relief in the heat. On those days in Tucson, it either has to be an EG's or a raspado. <laughs> and so these two families, they stay locked in a constant cold war, get it, for the hearts and palates of Tucson summertime. A war that got hotter than a 100 degree day in October, the day it happened when these two star past lovers finally met. Yes, this is the poem about the story of the day when the raspado and the EGs fell in love. <laughs> Downright cold from two different worlds, but the EGs fell for the raspado and the raspado for the EGs, y sus familias no estaban de acuerdo. Pero los amantes se juraban que eran de una nueva generación que no sería marcado por el odio, no. No había manera de deshacer el amor, no. Even if miscegenation laws had tried to ban such unions in Arizona until 1959, no. Digo, sí, el amor triunfará, sí. Esta es la historia de la EG's hembra y el raspado macho. O quizás era el EG's ruco y la raspado ruca. No me acuerdo. Y tampoco me importa. Because love does not believe in gender. Especially when we are discussing the gender of iced drinks. And anyway, why should we believe the tortilla chips when they tell us that gender should be like them? Cut and dry. No. Yes. This story, it was a hot day on West St. Mary's 
where there's an EG's less than a block from uh, Donde Los Raspados. By the way, there they were. Their eyes met. They began condensating profusely, <laughs> staring into each other's cups, swooning through styrofoam, derretiendo con el deseo. Their love burned, and they melted. It was still over 100 degrees in October. But it was not the heat, it was their love, de verdad. Their bond was so tight that not even I-10 could come between them. Their adobe love stood so strong, not even a TCC parking lot could pave it over. Their love was refried, not gentrified. Their unity was so united. Together they both made fun of the $7 smoothie place downtown, offering bougie ingredients like spirulina, ha! nutrition, ha! The EGs and the Respalo have no time for such things because they were in love. And their love was long like lines at the liquor store drive-thru. Los dos eran de Tucson. Tucsonenses de verdad. No cruzaron la frontera. La frontera les saboreó. Bueno, dice que el EGs nació después de un intento fallido de unos gringos hacer un shaved ice in the back of a trailer, pero no importa. Eran de por aquí, caray. And the feud between their families was nothing compared to their love, so together they protested the health department. They spoke truth to the school board, asking for both of their histories to be taught in the classroom. But most of all, wherever they slushed, they dreamed. Si, sí, amigos, como soñaban, of a day when the rompope could stomp with the strawberry, when the beso de ángel could smooch with the lemonade, when the jungle juice would quit being such a frat boy cliche, when the cocoa could hold the hand of black raspberry in public, of a day when the EG's piña colada could marry a piña colada raspado, yes! Love is love is love, and they dreamed in solidarity with all dreamers, so they came from two different families, from two different sides of town, until love opened their eyes, and they began to see EGs and raspado joints everywhere except for the foothills. Their love opened their eyes, and they realized that only in Tucson could these two sides meet. Yes, only in Tucson, where we like our iced drinks so complex, we have to eat them with a spoon. We where we like our mestizaje, cool and naturally flavored. Yes, we are Tucson. We stand with forbidden love. We celebrate the EGs and the raspado both. Yes, we are Arizona. And yes, there is a hate, but it is a dry hate. And we will quench that hate as only a raspigis can. Yeah, I said it. Raspigis. No 7-Eleven, Circle Locas, Squishy, Slurpee, Wannabe Drink. No, Raspigis, si. Que viva el amor. Que viven los amantes. Que long live el Raspigis. Logan Phillips. The audience at the event was given a chance to fill out postcards with brief personal stories based around the questions, What brought you to Tucson? Or, What made you stay? Those cards were then picked at random by volunteer readers as part of the debut of Dimalo, Stories of the Southwest. Here's the project's producer to explain how anyone can participate. Hi everyone, I'm Sofia Palisa-Kiach and I'm here doing a project called Dimelo, which you might have seen the giant cactus mailbox back there. And uh, that's one of mine and I'm doing it for Arizona Public Media. And the idea is that we take your stories of living in Tucson, your experiences here, and we put them at the center of local reporting. So from now on, you'll be able to hear Dimelo as a segment on the radio on Arizona Spotlight. So look out for that, uh, because it might feature some of your voices. And there are two ways you can participate in this project. So one is you can find one of our mailboxes around town. And they're going to be hosted by um, three of our community centers. One is Tubamock Hill, 
So some of you may have been there. You'll have to climb the hill to find one of them. One of them is going to be at El Rio, the community health center on the west side. And one of them is uh, also going to be at the Mission branch of the Pima County Public Library. So you can find one of them. You can submit a slip like you did for me today. Thank you, all of you who did that. Or you can go online to dimelostories.org. It's a national initiative that's funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. It's part of a project called Finding America. And I'm going to hand over this to Mark now, because we're going to have you all actually do a little uh, audience engagement. Would anyone like to read one of the stories? If so, uh, come up over here. The stage is accessed by this, these stairs here. And I'll go ahead and start while someone is screwing up the courage to join us. OK, this is from Mary. Following an itinerant astronomer through the country, we arrived in this dusty town. The heat was a living thing, reaching out to burn tender northern skin. The children screamed and cried the entire way at Gates Pass, and the heat licked our faces. The sun slipped down, lighting all the spines in the saguaro forest. The breeze kissed us. The cactuses turned pink. The children stopped crying, and the first star appeared. We are home. That was a great story. Here's a familiar face. It's Molly McCloy. Coming from the Northeast, Arizona always seemed like a foreign place that I would never visit. After conversations kept coming up about the Southwest, I became enchanted with the idea. I packed in my car and made a plan to drive cross country in five days. Well, five days turned into two and a half weeks, but I got here. Just like the pace I travel at slowed down, so has the pace of my life. I'm happy for it. What was the first name on that one? That is Charlie. So these are just tiny snapshots of all the different ways that people ended up in this city. What's your name? My name is Maddie. Hi, Maddie. How long have you been in Tucson? Uh, about four months. Really? What brought you here? Um, working with the organization No More Deaths or No Mas Muertes. <laughs> so this is John. Um, so John visited relatives here when I was a teenager. I swore I would come to live here when I grew up. I graduated college, got married, and worked. I quit my job at age 24 and moved to Tucson without prospects. I got a job, and here I am 32 years later and loving it. I'm John. That's terrific. John, where are you? Hey there. All right, and we've got another person coming up to read. And this guy I know, this is AC, who is the webmaster for Arizona Public Media. All right, this person's name is Julie. So it says, I arrived in Tucson with my family, the Hannas, in 1958. We came from Wisconsin to escape the cold weather. My family, or my father, got a teaching job at Pueblo High School as a biology teacher, and we became a family of, of eight. Way to go, Julie, holy crap. <laughs> and all are still in Arizona. This is the story. That's it. What's your name and how old are you? Samantha, I'm nine. Well, thanks for coming up, Samantha. What's the first name of the person who wrote the story you're going to read? Art. Okay. I moved to Tucson to redo the things I love and try a few new things. Short but sweet. That says it all. All right, come on down. 
My name is Rachel. Go ahead and read your uh, story for us. Who's it from? This is from Mikey the King. <laughs> I was a musician and came to play at the Desert Inn on I-10. Our next gig was in Boston, but it fell through. So we stayed. Come on up, what's your name? Hi, my name's Jack. And you're volunteering tonight for AZPM. And uh, my story was written by Anna Landau. Her mother flew back to Tucson from New York so that she could be born a third generation Tucson native. She left after high school, but keeps coming back because Tucson just gets under your skin and grows on you, doesn't it? When we talk about fresh starts and uh, chances for new beginnings, uh, the Chinese New Year is a great example of what that's all about. So joining us now we have Dr. Larry Lang from the Confucius Institute. So first, Larry, can you tell us this Chinese New Year celebration is happening on January 31st, and this arriving year is the year of the monkey. Is there a special significance to that or characteristics of this upcoming year that we should know about? Actually, everybody knows there are 12 animals for each year. I don't know what is meaning specially for this year as a year of monkey. I myself is a rabbit. I can tell a lot of rabbits, so you can Google yourself. But anyways, first I'm going to introduce is Mr. Ma Maoxun. The instrument he plays a two-string violin is called Arhu. <laughs> Imitating the bird song, okay. And, uh, that's Ms. Xia Jing, who plays Gu Zheng. Wow, that's water flowing, okay. And that's Ms. Han Chao. She plays pipa, has four strings tuned like dong, dong, dai, dong. Is not fourth, not fifth, but a four second fourth. Okay. <laughs> they are going to play a little piece called New Year Happiness. Please enjoy the trail.
And that's just a very small taste of what they will be offering next Sunday, the 31st, at the celebration of the Chinese New Year at Centennial Hall. That's being put on by the Confucius Institute. Thank you very much to the musicians and to Dr. Larry Lang there doing the difficult work. Our final guest for the evening was Lydia R. Otero, the author of La Calle, Spatial Conflicts and Urban Renewal in a Southwest City. So first of all, define the title of La Calle. What does that name mean? What does that phrase mean in your world? So trained as an academic, I interviewed a lot of folks. I did a lot of research, and I was... I really couldn't define that place because some people said, oh, it's Barrio Libre, oh, it's Barrio Membrillo, oh, it's Barrio this and that. And people here in Tucson are very attached to place. And they can define their spaces uh, very well through walking the place, through knowing the place. And so I needed to find a way that encompassed this area without really getting into those questions or disputes about boundaries. Because if you know anything about Tucson is that people from Tucson tend to be a little bit territorial. And I say that with love. When I was a child, we always used to say, vamos a la calle. And so do a lot of people that, that were born and raised here and used to go to downtown when it was vibrant, when it was the, um, a commercial center, and uh, when it was a place similar to what young people, well, not so much now, but maybe in the 80s and the 90s used to go to malls. So it was that kind of energy. And uh, so then I said, why, don't, why am I looking for a name for this book when I already know what it is? When it's what my family used to call it and what the, pe what the people that I used to grow up called it. So that's where the name La Calle came from. And I think it's, I had to do some unlearning to really see uh, and bring it home and make it relevant to the people who live here. What do you think were the major forces that were at play when downtown was disassembled and rebuilt in a new image? Well, certainly it was a, a consciousness about how the city, how downtown looked. Every city in the U.S., uh, the downtown is special to them because it represents their city. So imagine a city made up of Sonoran row houses, of adobe structures, a city where their downtown is made up of predominantly Mexican-American people. That didn't sit right with tourist promoters who wanted to promote Tucson as an American city. The economy of Tucson has always relied really heavily on tourism. So what Tucson was, was not something that could be marketed. And so I think that that imagery was really important. Um, harking back to the cowboy imagery, to the Western imagery was really important because tourists like that. A lot of that history is uh, concocted for outsiders to lure them to Tucson. Now a downtown made up of Mexican-American people that had been there for over 100 years was hard to market. I'm hoping that now it's different, that we can market Mexican-American communities in a more authentic way and uh, certainly if you go down 12th Avenue, uh, 6th Avenue, you can see a different kind of energy there. I mean, look at us now. This is the El Casino Ballroom, and we're all here. I would like to think that it is changing and that we are able to 
advertise and celebrate that side of our city's history and culture because it's a natural resource. Why aren't we exploiting it? We've, we've, we've had no trouble exploiting the other natural resources in Arizona, so why not this one? That's the question that I come up with. And I understand some of the, the forces that are at work, but do you think in the time since you wrote the book that things have changed? Mm. You know, I think that it's, it's becoming more relevant with time. Uh, my editor, Kristen Buckles, is here, and we were just having a conversation about it. Uh, so it came out six years ago, and each year it seems to gain some momentum because there is a lot of urban development going on. And uh, so we have to think about things that matter to people internally, the Tucsonenses, Tucsonans that live here, those kinds of things should matter as we approach any new development or any new project. If we look downtown now, you know, there's issues there. You have more wealthy populations and more chic populations and in the, I would say, the east side of Congress, but then you go walk two blocks and you have extreme poverty. Those are things we have to reconcile, and how do you do it in a way that, that is human, yes, but in a way that still brings people downtown. I know that people would like, would sometimes ask me, don't you hate the development? Don't you just think it's horrible? And I'm all into bringing people back downtown. I want to see downtown like it used to be. Thanks all, because you know, you know what that energy was like, you remember it. I'm not gonna knock, like for example, the streetcar. Um, you know, some people are, oh, well, we hate the streetcar, all this money went into it. But you know, that's just one component. We need these other components, and certainly we need to attract diverse populations downtown, because that's what Tucson is. Tucson's always been a welcoming city. Uh, I love Logan Phillips's poem because it really brings all of those ingredients together and that's who we are. Tell us about the Barrio Stories project that Logan is playing a part in right now. This is a pretty exciting new thing and it's storytelling which is what we're all about tonight. Right. So I wrote this book and it inspired a play. How fantastic is that? Uh, Mark Binata, the director of Borderlands Theater, came to see me about two years ago and he came to my office because he wanted to introduce himself and he talked about himself and what he wanted to do and I gave him a copy of the book and uh, he actually read it. So he went to the TCC and he was eating lunch one day after reading the book and it came to him. What if we bring people back to the Tucson Community Center or actually the Tucson Convention Center? What if we bring people back? What if we... Um, bring history back to these area, this area, and what if we do perform history here in these sites? Outside of any book, outside of any museum, but actually on the grounds of the Tucson Convention Center. So that's how Barrio Stories emerged. He, from that idea, he's interviewed more people, and he's contracted three Latino and Latina playwrights who are from nationally, who read the book, and then these playwrights were just free to create and create these stories that are gonna be performed on March 5th and 6th. Y'all have to go. 
Mark it down on your calendars right now. March 5th and 6th downtown at the Tucson Convention Center. It's going to be happening. It's going to be spectacular. Tucson's never going to see anything like that, has never seen anything like it. And, and I don't know, hopefully we see more spectacular things. But for right now, reclaiming that history and reclaiming that site, super important. Well, Lydia Otero, I very much enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for listening to this special live recorded edition of Arizona Spotlight. The show was recorded with a great audience at the El Casino Ballroom in Tucson. The event was produced by Sofia Paliza Carr. Thanks to the cumbia band Vox Urbana for graciously sharing the venue. The production engineers for the event were Jim Blackwood, Denny Waters, and Isaac Rodriguez. Our theme music is by Calexico. I'm your producer and host, Mark McLemore.